Hello, everybody. Welcome to Following Jesus with Christ Church. My name is Andrew Vandermoss, one of the pastors at Christ Church. And I'm Addison Hawkins, friend, colleague, and co-host with Andrew. Over the next 20 minutes or so, we hope to share some observations and some stories about following Jesus from our little perspective here at Christ Church in Grand Rapids. This is part one of a two-part series that Andrew and I are embarking on together as we think about the language that we choose to use on a daily basis. We're calling this a rhetoric of love, and that language may be familiar to you. It is the title of a book by Douglas M. Jones III. We thought it would be important to take some time to really stop and think about the way that we talk. What is rhetoric? What's our motive in how we talk? And what does it mean to follow Jesus with the words that we use? So stick around for part one of A Rhetoric of Love. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These are the words of John chapter 1, verse 1. And they remind us that words are powerful. God came into this world. He came into this world in human flesh, but as the Word of God. As we enter into, uh, as we continue on in this podcast season that we've been in, we're reminded of how words change our lives. Uh, Just today, actually, as we're recording this podcast, Governor Whitmer came on and in her words uh, extended a stay-at-home order for uh, another couple of weeks up until May chapter 15 with some modifications to the ones that existed before. And we uh, feel that. We feel that. And we want to respond to it either in support or in opposition. And we want to garner our words together to begin to express our response. So we want to talk about responses and words. And we thought that maybe a way to organize our thoughts would be under the rubric of rhetoric. We're going to talk in a minute about what we mean by that, but in order to help us, we have got uh, two friends of Christ Church here with us who both are involved in teaching rhetoric. One is my wife, Lisa. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. I thought I'd never be asked onto your show. Well, you are always there in the background, supporting, holding up, but it's great to have you with us. Thank you. And then secondly, we have uh, Lindsay Williams. Lindsay and her husband, Brian, and their four children have been at Christ Church for, what, about 18 months? Yeah, a little over two years, I think. Thanksgiving-ish is the anniversary. The anniversary, and Lindsay's been involved in uh, Bible studies and a variety of things in and around Christ Church. Now, one of the things just that some of you, I know many of you know Lisa and our family, maybe don't know the Williams family as well. Um, Brian is actually involved in the medical community here in Grand Rapids. Isn't that right, Lindsay? Yeah, Brian works at Mary Freebed Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh, He and I are both physical therapists, although I chose to stay home once we had our kids. And he's worked at Mary Freebed his whole career, started out as a staff PT, and now is in more of an administrative role. He's the vice president of their outpatient 
uh, network and also director of their medical group, so managing physicians. Um, so yeah, he's had a um, hand in the pot, if you will, <laughs> in uh, all of what's going on here in West Michigan and planning for, you know, a potential, um, you know, wave of patients and how to handle that and help the medical community respond. Yeah, I think one of the things, you know, as we've been doing these podcasts, just realizing that everybody's got a little bit different perspective on what is going on. That's certainly a perspective that not many of us share. Um, but one of the reasons we wanted to have the two of you on is that you guys have both been involved in teaching uh, rhetoric uh, and, and involved in not only teaching, but I'm also guessing learning about rhetoric and its practice. Yeah. And so one of the, you know, as we think about rhetoric, we think about language, the way that we talk, you know, Andrew opened us up with, you know, in the beginning was the word. And we often talk about how words are a part of everything that we do, whether that's through our Sunday services, whether that's through the conversations we're having. I mean, rhetoric is everywhere. Talk is everywhere. Lisa, do you want to just kind of give us a little bit behind that? Sure. Well, certainly none of us would argue with the fact that we are bombarded with words in our daily life, probably more than any other time in history. Um, you know, in the old days, you would walk to town quietly. Now we have our phones, we have our earbuds in, we have podcasts going, we have like this one, which is great. We have music playing. So words are bombarding us. And it is everywhere. Rhetoric is everywhere. Whether it's read, spoken, it's, it surrounds us in our daily life. Yeah, Lindsay, do you want to add anything to that? I think that's a great um, description of it. It's even in our, in our thought life, you know, our self-talk, if you've ever heard that phrase. Yeah, it is, it is everywhere. And I'm glad Lisa, you know, pointed out too, um, rhetoric it it's it's words it's also kind of the images that words conjure and we are such an image-based culture these days that's a form of rhetoric as well so um yeah there's many many inputs that we have to navigate and, and what one of the ways that we navigate that is just by stopping and thinking and and thinking a little bit about the form of some of that and that's where maybe the more classical discipline of rhetoric uh, comes in as we think about the form of that. So maybe you can go back, and this is something that has, goes all the way back, Aristotle and, and Plato, uh, Socrates, uh, just talking about rhetoric. What, what are some of the things that we think about when we think about classical rhetoric? Maybe, Lindsay, I don't know if you want to start with that. Sure. No, that's a great place to start. And uh, I think if I said the word rhetoric now, it often carries this connotation of negativity uh, or, you know, that's just rhetoric, meaning that's just talk or, uh, you know, some kind of negative form of persuasion. But what we are talking about today is really a skill set or an art that is developed um, over you know, time and intentional education, um, making oneself a student of great orators and writers. So when we're talking about rhetoric, we're talking about the art of persuasion. Um, 
that is, you know, respectful and um, competent, whether it's, you know, writing or speaking. Um, so the angle that, you know, Lisa and I would come at this with um, in our, uh, you know, our, our homeschool group, um, like you mentioned, it starts back with these ancient names and personalities. Um, if you think back to ancient Greece, uh, where democracy was first birthed, and people were given a say in their government for, um, you know, policy and, and motions, they would have to be able to persuade other people um, to think about their facts, their ideas. So it became apparent that you needed to be skilled in this art of persuasion. So schools rose up to train uh, orators and uh, there developed this kind of systematic way of looking at that and we call that the canons of rhetoric. And so, um, you know, there are five of them and that's what we kind of look at with our students and that's what I can walk you through you know, now. And it's such a great way to slow down and think about our words and how we're choosing them and what they're for. Um, so when we talk about this um, art of rhetoric, the first step is thinking about what are the ideas that we need to communicate. And we call that invention. So we're coming up with the points that need to be conveyed and the ideas that need to be shared, what are the facts in there, and you can compare things and define things. In fact, definition might be one of the most important steps in this stage because words can have multiple meanings and you want to be very clear about what it is you're talking about. Um, you can think about cause and effect. You can think about um, there's, there's, you know, an appeal to an authority and what um, where are you getting this information from? So all of that is involved in what we call invention. But then once you have all your ideas that you wanna share, you have to think of how do I put them in order that it's going to make sense and have meaning. So that we call this canon of arrangement. And you, you, you play with it and you think about who, who is my audience and you know, how is it gonna land with them? Um, what's gonna make the most sense and flow? Um, and that kind of moves into this third canon of elocution or style. Um, what are the best words to convey? Um, do I wanna put in some fancy adjectives or do I need to keep this really basic? Can it be longer, shorter, you know, what's the context? So you're thinking about stylistic choices. That's really a, a fun aspect of what we teach as well. Um, but then you think about you know, if you're giving this as a speech, you have to kind of own that material, make sure you know what you're saying. So we call it memory, where you're committing those ideas and the flow into this order where you can, um, you, you can not rely so much on your notes and you're just, you're speaking um, with a sense of uh, authority and ownership over those ideas. And then finally, there's this canon um, that deals more with the style of how you speak. So your tone of voice, the pace of your speaking, what is your body language? You know, if you think about, um, you know, a pastor preaching um, a sermon, 
compare that to maybe a funeral, um, compare that to a political speech. They all have a different tone and um, a different tone is necessary and valuable for each of those different, you know, kind of environments. Um, so th that's a super quick summary of what we call the canon of rhetoric, um, but it's really helpful because you, you start to realize uh, for different uh, purposes, you might be, you know, needing to think more carefully about choosing your words differently, um, especially based on who your audience is and what they know of you and um, what you can offer. That's the world we live in where we're applying this with students, teaching them how to write or how to prepare an oral presentation. Um, and also that gets a little bit into how we are readers and what, what we're, you know, reading articles, well, textbooks. Yeah. That, and that, I love that. I think that that is so awesome. And the thing that I really appreciate about that, and I know that that might've been a little bit technical for some of our listeners, and you may have to push pause and go back and re-listen to those five canons. And that is, that is totally okay. Uh, but what I like about that is that it, it's something that is so different than response. It, it just seems like so much of what we see today, and when we talk about rhetoric, we're talking about social media, we're talking about all these different things, and it's just respond, and it's not thought out very well. Lisa, what do you, what do you think as you think about the difference between sort of a rhetoric, a rhetoric and a response? Well, I think just to go back to the definition of rhetoric, this is very instructive. It says rhetoric is the use of knowledge and understanding to do three things, perceive wisdom, pursue virtue, and proclaim truth. Okay. And I think those are three things that as Christians, we care a lot about. Uh, you know, we all want wisdom. We all want virtue and we want to proclaim truth to the world around us. So I think those goals are very different than just responding, um, proclaiming our virtues rather than pursuing those things. I think that's really important. You know, as we are wholly digital right now, I mean, let's just bring that to today. You know, we have to really stop and think about the things that you guys have just said. Think about the words that we're using. And, you know, you know, Lindsay, you had mentioned thinking about your audience. Well, that audience right now, for most of us, is on the other end of a computer screen and can't talk back, can't get, you know, there's no engagement. There's no nonverbal cues that we can pick up on with our language and our rhetoric. So I think it's really important just to, to really think about how and where we're using our words. Let's, let's move a little bit further down the road. So that's getting towards sort of how we talk. But what, what about the motive behind our rhetoric, Lisa? What would you say about that? Well, <clears throat> Augustine of Hippo really talks about using our rhetoric in two ways. There's really two paths to choose. One is the way of domination, and the other is the way of love. And he goes on to say this, the first is holy, the second foul. The first is social, the second selfish. The first consults the common welfare for the sake of a celestial society, 
and the second grasps at a selfish control of social affairs for the sake of arrogant domination. Mm. And he wow. goes on to explain that a little more, but I think even more important than forming the proper words is to take another step back and to think about what is my motive and my heart for the rhetoric that I'm about to deliver. That's a lot more thought, I think, than, you know, just being completely self, uh, self-transparent self here. It's a lot more thought than oftentimes I am giving to things. I am more in the response mode based on my own feelings or my own impressions at the particular time. But this is, uh, this is really pushing us to, to really be thoughtful, not only about what we say, but why we are saying it. Yeah, we just studied uh, this year with the seniors, a book called The Rhetoric of Love by Douglas Jones. And he is actually a rhetorician. This is what he's done all his life is teach this. And really, he said he wrote this book as a series of questions to himself because he was really taking the road of the, the way of power and using his words to control people. And so he wrote this entire book with all these chapters about what is the way of love in rhetoric. And it's been fascinating to talk with high school seniors about this as we've taught them how to communicate. And now we're asking them, well, what is your motive for saying what you're saying? Yeah, I appreciate here where this conversation has landed on, um, maybe I would call it like we're slowing things down this in our response as we right. are both taking in words at an intense volume um, and as we are thinking with words and then responding, um, this, uh, this art of rhetoric invites you to slow down which is antithetical to this pace, especially on the internet of the world we live in. And um, I have appreciated how it has been instructive to me to not shoot something off, um, but to really think carefully about who the audience is, who is seeing this, what's going on in their life. You know, I one thing that I'm kind of mourning in this is that I'm not able to be around other people as much and, and really get to talk to them about what's going on in their homes. And so you may read a comment that feels a little bit abrasive, but perhaps if we knew, you know, why they made that, maybe it's small business is not doing well, or maybe a loved one is very ill. You know, I think we would respond with so much more grace if we knew. Um, and so I think that this, this practice of thinking more about our words um, is one, like what that author identified, is one of love, um, you know, love for God, because he created these people and loves them dearly. And so we are called to that love as well. Um, but yes, it's an examination of our motives for sure. And I don't always like, like what I find, like what I find, uh, but we're always learning. So. 
I think that's really good. You know, what I've really appreciated about this uh, discussion that we're having, this talk, if you will, that we're having the conversation is that, you know, we're taking these ideas, you know, in some sense, they can feel sort of large, you know, five canons of rhetoric, what is rhetoric, but we're really distilling it down uh, for, for what in a way that people can really take bite-sized chunks and just begin to be really practical, which is what we really want to talk about. And we want to move into sort of how do we approach then what rhetoric looks like in our life? And how do we find some of the fallacies and some of the objections and those sorts of things, which we'll get to uh, if you guys stick with us. Thanks for listening. We're glad you checked us out. If you want more from Christchurch, you can find us at our website, it's christchurchgr.org. That's christchurchgr.org. While you're there, check out the Staying Connected During COVID-19 page for more resources, our home worship guide, the latest podcast, and other ways to stay connected. You can find this podcast on many of your regular podcasting apps, or that is through Apple iTunes or the Google Play Store. If you enjoyed this content, please consider giving us a rating and a review. Also, Sharing this episode with a friend or family member is a great way to keep them connected. We're so glad you checked in. We'll see you next time. Remember, next time will be part two of A Rhetoric of Love, the series that we are currently in looking at language and what it means to follow Jesus with our words. So check back next week and we'll see you then. Check, check.